you. Let's turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. I want to welcome the online audience. Hello, all you guys online. Shout out to the Oregonians that are listening and watching. And my brother, Doug, out there in Palm Springs, praying for you, Doug. God is going to bring you through this time as he is with all of us. Amen. But tonight, the title of the message is Our Suffering Savior, 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 18 through 22, of course, the theme this year, a living hope. Our hope is alive. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hope you guys are doing good in the Lord. Remember last week, we talked about the keys in suffering, five things to remember to help us endure the sufferings that are sure to come, the sufferings that you are enduring even right now as we speak. Talked about doing good that will bring peace, and that your suffering will be rewarded. We'll talk about that tonight as well. Always keep Christ as Lord on the throne of your life and always be eager to share your hope because that, of course, encourages you when you remember where you were, what you were doing, and what God has done. Always good. Amen. Gosh, to think back. Thank you, Jesus. And then to keep doing good in the midst of it because, of course, verse 17 said, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. So verse 18, chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. And this also is an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the flesh, filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Now tonight, Peter zeroes in on Christ and his suffering as a way to bring encouragement to the believers in their own suffering. And when we think of Jesus and what he endured, I love this passage of scripture about what he did, what happened on the cross and such. What he endured on our behalf, the suffering, man, that we might be saved. And even alone, just thinking about that, guys, for a minute, looking towards Easter here, less than three weeks away, it should encourage us. It should build us up in his love. And, of course, that's what I want to focus on tonight, our suffering Savior and, and the reason for that and why and how this incredible love should build us up and this knowledge really should be sufficient for us to make it through any trial, every trial. Yes, Lord, I'm suffering in this area, but your love. Yes, Lord, everything's falling apart over here, but your love, your love, your love, and what his love accomplished for us. And, of course, the hope in, in our own personal trials and suffering is that this Messiah, this Christ suffered, this perfect one, died for us, the imperfect. Think about it. Why would he do that? In order, of course, that he might give us opportunity to believe, to receive, and to experience new life here on earth. Anybody experiencing new life? You once were lost, but now you're found. But then also eternal life when we die, which could even be today or the rapture. Let's go with the rapture, everybody. Same time, amen? We'll go with that. And I was reading in my devo in devotions, of course, going through the Bible, and I read this passage in Mark 10, 33 and 34, where Jesus himself said this about the plan. Now, he's talking to the disciples. Remember, he had to kind of keep reminding them, by the way, this is what's going on. By the way, this is why I came. By the way, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. But he says this, behold, we, of course, him and all the guys, are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. Now, here's the amazing part as he goes on. And they will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. When you think about that, here is Christ. Here is God in the flesh, knowing in advance what's going to happen. And yet he's freely walking into Jerusalem on your and my and all of mankind's behalf. And this was the plan, you guys. This was the plan from the foundation. I can't believe it, to mock him. How many of you guys would let other people mock you when you had the power to stop them from mocking you? How about to hit him, to scourge him, to spit on him? 
I mean, anybody ever been spit in the face by somebody? I mean, imagine that. I mean, that would be like flesh, it's, it's on. No way in the world you're going to let somebody spit in your face. And yet to stand there and take it and, and do all that. The plan for us to suffer a humiliating death as God for sinful man as a demonstration of the love of God. And I was checking on the internet and I found this hymn, of course, Hallelujah, what a Savior. And that's kind of been in my heart today. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Say with me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? That was weak, brother. Come on, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high, hallelujah, what a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransom, ransom home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing, hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a Savior. Man, and it's when I remember what Christ did for me. Guys, this is so important. When I remember how he endured the suffering on my behalf, that's what inspires me. That's what encourages me. That's what gives me the strength to hang in there, to keep pressing on. And that's what Peter is trying to do with the believers. Hey, what does he say? Man, for Christ also suffered. And knowing that, that Jesus had this plan of my salvation from the beginning of time encourages me because they ha he has the same plan, in a sense, for my eternal life, that which has not come. And that encourages me to believe that that's going to happen as well. He had a plan for us to be saved. And, of course, we had to respond. We had to believe. But the plan was there. The offer was there. The, the open hand was there. The cross was already done. The same thing for our eternal life, guys. Are anybody excited about eternal life? In paradise? No sin? Imagine living in a place of no sin. Goodness gracious. Where we live, everything we go through, all this suffering, we'll talk about that as well, is because of sin. Sin ruined it. Adam and Eve, man, you know, I mean, come on. We all would have fell. Just as he said, and we recorded in 1 John 2, 25, and this is the promise that he promised us, eternal life, guys. That's what we have to look forward to, and it's a promise. So in our passage, Peter speaks to the, Christ, the Christians that were suffering. They speak of Christ's suffering to give insight for them and to us and how it applies to our lives. Five main points tonight in regards to our suffering. Number one, the reality of his suffering. Number two, the reason for his suffering. Number three, the result of his suffering. Number four, the retribution for his suffering. And number five, the reward for his suffering. And guys, what we're going to be doing is um, with the message that goes on the men's Bible study website, we're also going to be adding the PowerPoint, that, the notes that are there as well for you so you can get all that stuff. Of course, I know some of you write it down. I know I talk too fast for you to write it anyhow, but... You can get that information. But number one, the reality of his suffering, Peter said, for Christ also suffered. Kind of interesting that he would have to remind them, huh? But remember how far removed they are from the cross when this is being written. 30 years, maybe. And a lot of the believers, of course, they weren't there. Of course, Peter was there. And he had, you know, he, he didn't need to be reminded at all. He, he was there. He experienced it in a sense. He, Christ also suffered, and this word suffered is translated more accurately as died. He died, guys. He didn't just suffer. He died. We know this. And in his encouragement to the believers, it was good to remind them, man, in your suffering, remember that your loving Savior Jesus suffered. Now, of course, we talk about suffering. We talk about what we're going through. And don't get me wrong, man, at the hands of the devil, we get beat up. Things happen in this life, and it's not easy. But none of us has suffered to the point of death. And even in Peter's time, not all of those people were killed who followed Christ. Yes, they suffered rejection. Yes, they suffered 
you know, the persecution and embarrassment from family members kicking them out of the family that were Jewish and such, and the persecution that came from, you know, the government, and those who did die. But Jesus, man, he suffered a horrible death. But this suffering, this reality of suffering means three things. He knows what it's like to suffer. Just as he was tempted in all ways as a man and yet without sin, he knows what it means to suffer. Isaiah 53 said that he was what? A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, you guys. Acquainted. And he knows he suffered this death. And, and sometimes when we go through things, you know, there's other people that haven't gone through what you've gone through. And remember I talked last week about my dog, Finn. It was so cool. Two of the brothers. Don't see him here tonight. But afterwards, we, we started, we were walking out there, and they'd gone through the same thing. They could relate. And they knew exactly what I was talking about. And it encouraged me to talk to them. Because they had had dogs that had passed away. See, when you go through something that someone else hasn't, and you try and talk to them about it, eh, but Jesus knows. There's nothing that you can go through that he can't, in a sense, have the same experience and help us through it. There's nothing you can ever experience that Jesus does not have insight and empathy for. That's our Savior. He knows what it's like to, save, to suffer. But number two, we have fellowship with him in sufferings. Remember that, guys. How do we know that? Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Anybody there tonight? That valley, man, it's real. And it could be, oftentimes we associate that with the loss of a loved one. <laughs> but you could, have, you could have a loss of a relationship, loss of a job, loss of finances, whatever it is. You're in the valley, the shadow of death. You feel like you're going to die. It's horrible. But even though I walk, I'll feel no evil. Why? For you are with me. Isaiah makes it so clear that he will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. So we have fellowship with him in that, in that suffering. It's amazing to know that. I love that. And also we can be certain he is with us in this, this fellowship. And, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. I, want, I, have, a, I have nine passages of scripture we're going to go to. And why am I doing that? You guys got to know the address. You got to have your own Bibles. You got to have these things underlined. You got to know where it's at. Philippians 3.10, that in Paul, of course, talking about this idea of knowing Christ and, and how to gain that was greater than anything that he had. But he also said, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, the fellowship that comes into suffering in that knowing that Christ suffered. So the reality of suffering, he knows what it's like to suffer. We have fellowship with him in suffering, and we can be certain he's with us, like I shared with the 23rd Psalm. He's with us. He'll be with you in this tribulation. So number one, the reality of suffering as Christians. Number two, though, the reason, the reason for his sufferings. I love this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. He died once for sins, the just for the unjust. The reason the reason. Turn with me five pages to the left to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to see this. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, this idea of him dying for us once for sins. Now, it's amazing you think about this. Back in the Old Testament days, we say Old Testament days, back when they had to sacrifice for sins and the priests that were there to do this, man, you want to talk about work. To get your forgiveness. I was reading in Numbers today. The same idea. Like, oh my gosh. I just read that and go. You know, I don't know about you. But I'd be out there sacrificing and doing everything. I, would, I wouldn't have time to work. I mean, it would be just like, okay, you did this. And it was so detailed what you had to do to atone for your sin. You had to get the spotless lamb. You had to do this with him. You had to cut this one. You had to put it on the fire this way. You had to do this. And, and you had to spring. I mean, it was so much detail to it, so much work. But chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily 
and offering repeatedly, look, here it is, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, capital M, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, once for all, forever sat down at the right hand of God, and from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Once for sins. Simply put, guys, we were dead in our sins. Dead. D-E-A-D, you guys. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We were dead. Secondly, we were without hope. No hope. Paul talks about this as well. We were sinners, condemned, no way out. Anybody ever felt like there was just no reason to live anymore? It's like, this is it? This is all there is to life? I can remember so clearly after, actually, yeah, it was after a Halloween party in 1987 leading up to my testimony of New Year's Eve, 87 to 88. After that party, waking up a couple days later, you, this, 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 God, there's just, and talk about the depression that comes when you realize that your life is like on a hamster on a spinning wheel. You're going nowhere. This was hopeless. Hopeless and lost. Remember that, guys. It's good to remember that. But number three, we had no ability to save ourselves. We tried to save ourselves, huh? We tried to fix ourselves. We tried to fix the problems. We tried to fix the drinking alcohol. I know all of you don't have that testimony, but I did. I tried to fix it. Ha! It was a joke. Only God in Christ could save us, not ourselves. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been to this passage of Scripture before, but it's so good to read through Ephesians chapter 2 because this really, in a nutshell, just kind of lays out all of our testimonies. Ephesians 2, you know the address. Verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of course, the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, sinners by nature. Just as the others, verse 4, though, love this, but God, say with me, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, meaning that what he did and what he accomplished on the cross, he prepared the way, you guys, for us to have eternal life, to have new life. And even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, this is such good stuff, isn't it? Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and here it is, and that not of yourselves, guys. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Nothing that you could have done. Nothing you could have tried. You couldn't have bought your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Man, we had no ability to save ourselves. He did it all. Jesus paid it all. He made the way. That's why Jesus died, you guys. That's the reason why he suffered, the just for the unjust. The reason for his suffering, guys, number two. But number three, though, the result of his suffering. The result. So for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Here it is. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Imagine how encouraging it must have been to those believers. Reading this letter, the dispersed up there, going through it. Man, to be reminded, to bring back to 
to even, and that's what's so great about Easter. When we come to the cross, we come to the tomb, we come to the whole reason for our salvation. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And, and people talk about, well, what's the importance of the flesh? Well, if you remember, we've talked about this before. There was people that actually believed that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. No, no, no. The gospel makes it clear. He came fully God, fully man. He was in the flesh. He was a human being. He was hungry. He ate. Why did he have to be a human being? Because if he went to the cross, how could a spirit shed its blood? He had to shed real blood, you guys. Because without the blood, there's no remissions of sins. The blood is so important. It's amazing. The power that's in the blood. That's why you see so much in Scripture. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Years ago, many of you guys were even here, when, when where the fellowship hall was, that was an alley. It was open. Well, one night after church, we had an altar call, and some lady came up. Unbeknownst to us, she was demon-possessed. I kid you not. Anybody remember that story? Those old-timers out there? And man, when Pastor Steve was up there and, and, and having them say the sinner's prayer, she went ballistic and just went crazy. Tuvai picks her up, takes her out, and he's looking at me like, where do I take this screaming girl? And it was like, out in the alley. So out in that alley right back there, six or seven of us gathered around this girl, praying over her for an hour, an hour. And the only thing that got that demon out of there was that we had to keep trying to get her to say, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sins, the blood of Jesus. And I'm telling you, she, she was trying. She was trying. She would, she would get there. And, and the guys, this is so trippy. I can't believe I'm remembering this again, Bring it back. But, man, you could see the demon in her eyes. You could see it. It was like freaking out because we're all around. We got our Bibles. We're praying over anything. And we're telling, okay, 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 now just repeat this prayer. Say that the blood, the, 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 and then, the, then she would just go off again. I'm not making any of this up. Were you guys out there, the old timers? <laughs> it was crazy. She finally said the blood of Jesus, guys, and that demon left. And she just, in a sense, she just kind of came out like, what am I doing out? And her boyfriend was out there with her, and she freaked out because she didn't even know where she was at. She didn't even know what happened. She comes out of the demon's gone, and she's like, what am I doing in an alley with a bunch of guys? And there was a lady out there too. Thank God for that. But it was like, calm down, calm down. Yeah, she was Filipino. She'd gone to the provinces out there, out in the sticks and everything. And you came to the, the, the witch doctor because she wouldn't feel it. And bam, she got hooked up with that demon. I don't know how I got on that subject there. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. That's right. The blood of Jesus. So we have now, of course, the result. Being put to death. In the flesh, he had to die, he had to sacrifice, he had to shed his blood. And Jesus died, of course, to bring us into a relationship with God to remove the separation that was caused by sin. So as we see the result, what was accomplished? What was the result? Number one, redemption, you guys. It's up on the board there, up on the screen. Redemption, that means to purchase back of something that had been lost by the payment of a ransom. We have been redeemed, and this was accomplished by the shedding of the blood of Jesus, Ephesians 1 7 says, we have redemption through his blood. We've been redeemed, you guys. Bought back. The price was paid. Man, we were shackled to the devil. He had control over us. Our lives were a mess. Man, the blood cut the chains. Number two, cleansing. We've been cleansed as a result of his suffering. And that means to remove the filth and the effects of sin, thus purifying us and making us holy by his blood. We are holy because of his blood. 1 John says that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here again, the blood. We're holy, we're blameless because of what Christ has done. But number three, though, we have forgiveness. Forgiveness, of course. These aren't in any particular order, but forgiveness, of course, means to wipe the slate clean, to pardon, to cancel a debt, to erase. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. 
Verse 13 and 14, to the left. Again, another address you need to have. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. You all there? I didn't hear any pages shuffling there. There we go. That's better. I heard some right now. Colossians 1, 13, 14. Listen to this, guys. So cool. Of course, I know it's all underlined in your Bible, right? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through what? Through His blood. The forgiveness of sins, you guys. Forgiveness. And I love this idea, this, this illustration. When we talk about people being forgiven, literally, Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed us, Micah tells us that he has cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered or brought up again. Well, how can God forget? If God is God, how can he forget? Well, what, how, how is this real? How can God, when, he, when we ask him to forgive us of his sins, they're gone. They're erased. Well, picture a chalkboard. Picture that's a big chalkboard, and I go up there with chalk, and I write words on there. I write your sins on there. Forget your sins. I write my sins on there, okay? They're there. You can see them. They're real. But then I pick up the eraser. And the wonderful thing about the eraser, the blood is the eraser. I take that eraser, and I just start erasing the chalkboard. Remember like your teachers used to do or... You got called to do it. You know, you had to go up there or you had to, anybody go up there and have to do the, whatever you call I forgot what that was. Yeah, because you're in trouble. But you erased it. You erased it. What happened to those words? They're gone. They don't exist anymore. They turned to powder. When we ask forgiveness for our sins because of the blood of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, the sins are erased. They're gone. They're out on the ocean floor as that song played. I can't remember who sang that. It'll come to me. Anyhow, erased, you guys. That's why they're gone. That's why God doesn't remember your sins. But how many times do we ask God to forgive us of our sins about, you know, a couple days in a row? It's it's, it's a big one. Well, I just want to make sure, Lord. I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. He said, what are you talking about? Now, who remembers your sins besides us and your wife? (laughs) The devil. And he's a punk about it because he throws it in your face. Oh, big Christian are you, huh? Remember this one? How about you remember that one? That was a good one, by the way. I really like that one. And he just throws it right back in your face. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. Erased. They're gone. Forgiven, brothers. Woo! Now all we have to do, because remember, the Old Testament is talking about so much work. Now all we have to do, it's amazing. And this was revolutionary for these guys. Remember, what is 1 John 1, 9? That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. All I got to do is confess it. I mean, I don't got to go out and get an animal, a goat, a bull, whatever, all that. I was, I'm talking, that's, that's as revolutionary as treating women right back in those days. Man. Number four, we have reconciliation. The act of bringing back into unity, harmony, or agreement. What had been alienated between man and God, Colossians 1, 19 to 22, says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So much in the blood, so much power, power, power in that blood. Number five, adoption. So cool, guys. Think of this. Adoption? And the doctrine that man is adopted by God into his family, adoption is the gracious and merciful right bestowed upon unworthy, unworthy sinners through which a person is given admission into God's family. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, to the left once more. Galatians chapter 4, such a great scripture. Galatians 4, where is it? I'm, I'm missing it here. 
Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That was the inheritance that Peter was talking about. We have an inheritance. We are heirs. We are adopted. In, in John 1, 12, says that all who believe have the right to be called sons, children of God. Man, adoption. Sixthly, we have justification. And that's the act of making someone right with God. And this takes place when God declares those who place their faith in Christ righteous. And Jesus took our place on the cross as a substitute that we could be right with God. Simply put, justification or justified, you've heard this before, just if I'd never sinned. Justified, never sinned. I've been justified. Romans 3, turn with me to the left again. This is our seventh scripture tonight. Romans 3. Go with me. Come on. I hear those pages. Come on. Romans 3, 24 through 26. I'm not going to read unless you're there. <laughs> Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. This word propitiation really just simply means the means by which we can be saved as a propitiation by his, there's that word again, blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We have been justified, brothers. And lastly, number seven, sanctification. We have been sanctified. This is the state of being set apart unto God. And this happened when we were born again. And it means that God, because he bought us, he wants to be the only one to use us. And in Christianity, there's three phases of this sanctification. Number one is the positional sanctification. That when we were saved, we were sanctified positionally by the blood. This means that we are set free from every sin because of our position in Christ. That's positional sanctification. We are sanctified only because of Jesus. All right? Then you have practical sanctification. This is where we're at today. You're saved positionally, you're sanctified. So you die in God's eyes, man, you're clean, you're perfect. Practical sanctification, this is the process of sanctification that began when you were born again and will continue until you put off this flesh, until you die. And it's the effect of obedience to the Word of God by doing what God wants you to do. Simply as we go through our Christian life, as we read God's Word, as it speaks to our heart, as it tells us what is right, what is wrong, in obedience, we are practically being sanctified we are we are we are it's, it's been said before we're not sinless but the whole idea and the plan is that we would sin less as we go through our christian lives now of course it could be two steps forward one back it could be 10 steps forward one back it could be one step forward 20 back but as long as we keep going forward, guys, as long as we keep going forward, as long as we, this process of sanctification, practical sanctification, which leads to, of course, perfect sanctification, which is ultimate sanctification that happens only when we die, putting off these earthly sinful bodies, and this is the same as glorification, to be present in our glorified sinless bodies. Man, what a day that's going to be, brothers. We put off these rags and put on the riches. Now, this is all a result 
of his suffering. Say it with me, hallelujah, what a savior, man. The number four we have now, the retribution for his suffering, verse 19 through 21. This, this passage of scripture that Peter inserts in there, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. This also is an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection, and that's the key, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, this passage is one of the most widely debated passages of Scripture in the Bible. As many theologians that are out there, you're going to get that many possible different interpretations of this passage of Scripture. And it's even funny, I was actually reading all the commentators that I got and everything. So I was reading this one, I'm going, wait a minute, I, I feel like I just read that. What? Did I just read that? I won't name any names. <laughs> Did I just read that? And then that just, wait a minute. It just, so I go back to the other commentator. Wait. And this commentator here stole from this commentary the exact words and explanation, put it in his own commentary. It was hilarious. Doesn't bother me, though, because anything that we have to share is ultimately from the Holy Spirit anyhow, right? I mean, it's none of us, none of us is original. I didn't come up with any of this. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit who came up with this. But it, time doesn't permit to go through this saying and, and just talk about all the different ideas and thoughts behind all this thing. And yet some of them are very valid when you go to Genesis chapter 6 about the days of Noah and how bad it was and what was going on and the, the spirits who were going into the women. Ugh, it's nuts. But what I've concluded in my simple study is this, that to keep in mind, of course, now, why would Peter throw this in there? Remember, he's trying to encourage the believers. You've got to keep that in mind. This is an encouraging letter, to encourage them. So with that as his moment, I believe he's referring to Christ and Noah in both of their sufferings. Of course, Noah suffered persecution and ridicule for how long? Oh, my gosh. How long, brothers? 120 years while he built the ark. And he suffered from those in that generation. Long time. And, of course, we know Christ suffered persecution and ridicule from those in his generation as well, namely from the Jews. So Peter is encouraging the believers in their persecution. And why he refers to Christ going and preaching to the spirits is to let us know that those who rejected God's offer in Noah's time, while the divine long-suffering waited, were judged by God. When Christ went to those guys, he didn't preach the gospel. He preached judgment. He preached triumph. You guys, basically, when you think about it, through the wickedness of that time and through the influence of the, the sin and, and such was going on, only eight people got saved out of, they, they actually calculate that the earth at that time was almost as populated as it is now. I've read that before. And of course, how would I know? Well, 65 million years ago, we know. Anyhow, so those who reject Christ offering Peter's time as well will receive the same condemnation in judgment. So this being said, it was to let the believers know that God will have his day. You guys who are suffering for doing what is right. And sometimes when you think about that, it's like you're like Asaph in Psalm 73. A little bit tired of the wicked prospering, the wicked man never having any trouble, the wicked man always having the, all the, the toys and the, the motorhome and the boat and the house at Havasu and literally my next door neighbor, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, man, and I got to go to church on Sunday, you know, all this. You know, you look at that. Mm -mm. I believe he was doing it specifically to encourage them. God will have his day with those who have caused your persecution, you believers who are dispersed. God had his days in the days of Noah. Imagine Noah preaching, preaching 120 years, preaching, building this ark. And what did the people do? Mock, laugh, carried on like nothing. And yet, not only that, in Genesis 6, it speaks to the fact that it was evil continually. It was wicked. It was corrupt. It was 2021. No, it wasn't 2021. It was a long time ago. No. 
There's nothing new under the sun. Man. God will have his day. Those who reject him will be dealt with. And this was said, of course, to encourage the believers who were suffering, that their suffering was not in vain. And for us to know that the unbeliever who seems to have it made in his life, we all have those people around us, will be in torment in the next. Not that we want that. Not that we're like, yeah, I can't wait to God get you, sucker. That kind of a thing. No, we're praying, of course, but that will be their end. And, of course, the allusion to baptism is to remind us that just as Noah and his family were saved by entering into the ark when the flood came, that those who put their trust entering into Jesus, so to speak, will be saved by what he did. And the Living Translation, Living Bible um, reads in verse 21 perfectly, says, That, by the way, is what baptism pictures for us. In baptism, we show that we have been saved from death and doomed by the resurrection of Christ, not because our bodies are washed clean by the water, but because in being baptized, we are turning to God and asking Him to cleanse our hearts, our hearts from sin. So the retribution or dispensing of punishment to those who do not believe is intended to bring some comfort to those who had died and suffered unjustly while putting their faith in Jesus. Jesus triumphed over sin and the devil. And oftentimes we look at that and go, I don't see the triumph. I see the devil actually having a lot of way. I think I see the devil, you'll get in his way. No, no, no. Remember, he knows he is doomed. He was done. He was toast on the cross. His time is coming. And when Christ comes back and everything is settled, man, in eternity, they'll be cursed but in eternity, we'll be blessed forever in paradise. So the retribution. Number five, lastly, the reward for his suffering. Verse 22. Here it is. Verse 22. Who, of course, speaking of Jesus Christ, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Why would Peter tell the people this? That the same way that Jesus suffered, not the same, but in the fact that Jesus suffered and was persecuted and died, you believers who are suffering persecuted, you're going to heaven as well. The reward. What happened to Jesus as a resort of justification for suffering? Number one, he went to heaven, back home, ascended to the Father, received back to glory. Number two, he was given the place, not the place, he was given the place of honor. No greater place of honor. None greater. Seated at the right hand of God. And he was given authority over all creation. Ephesians 1 talks about that in Philippians 2. I think it's in the notes, but we're not going to turn to that for the sake of time. But again, Peter here in his encouragement reminds the believers to persevere in the service of God, though they were persecuted. Jesus was in like manner persecuted. He was reviled, rejected, and put to death. Yet ultimately he triumphed and he was raised from the dead and was exalted to the highest place. Check it out. The highest place of honor in the universe. Think about it. In the universe. We, we think about the universe. We don't think about the universe like we're a part of the universe because it's so vast. Remember, God is outside of the universe. He's outside of creation, and yet Jesus is at the right hand, the highest place of honor ever, ever, ever. Even so, if they did not fate, will in the end us, will be triumphant as well. And as Noah, who had been faithful and steadfast when surrounded by a scoffing world, was at last preserved by his faith from ruin, and as a redeemer, though persecuted and put to death, was at last exalted the right hand of God, so would they be if they bore their trials patiently and did not faint or fail in the persecutions they would endure. Application, number one, of course, we had the reality of suffering. Spoke about this last week from that book, Ellie Maxwell. You guys like that. Remember what he said? <laughs> you might as well just unpack because you're not going anywhere. Suffering is a reality. It's a part of the call. It's a cross we bear just as Christ did. You know, the, the, 
student is not above the master, the teacher. And of course, number two, the reason for suffering ultimately is because of sin. We talked about that earlier. And us being sinners. When Adam and Eve sinned, the curse came. Instead of heaven on earth, sin wreaked havoc on earth. Everything in this world, everything we suffer is because of sin, simply as a result of the fall. That's the reason for suffering. Sin. And then, of course, number three, the result of suffering, of course, this is a reminder that there is a purpose in our suffering, you guys. There's a purpose to it. It's just not random. It's just not by accident. There's, there's a plan that God has. Just as there was in Christ's suffering, as we just read. All the things that were there, his, the result of his suffering for us. Well, there is, there is a reason for our suffering. Number one, to be an example of Christ. Remember back to chapter 2, verse 21, where he says here, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. We're to be an example to Christ in our suffering, you guys. Number two, though, we're, we have this suffering that we were able to identify with the unsaved. Think about this. Think if we lived perfect lives. If, if when we became Christians, God said, yeah, you know what? You're a Christian now. You're a perfect life. Would anybody be able to relate to you? They would just look at you as being self-righteous, thinking you're perfect and all that, and you don't know nothing about life. But guess what, guys? <laughs> On the contrary, we go through what everybody else goes through. It's all the same. We're all in this thing together. And you think about your own instances in life, your own suffering, your own circumstances. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's kids that are unsaved. Whatever it is, the, all the testimonies that are represented out there, it's for that one purpose so that when you encounter someone else who has that same suffering, you're able to comfort them, even as Paul told the Corinthians, to be comforted with the same comfort with what you have received from Christ. So you can relate to them. They can relate to you. You come up to you, hey, you know, my, my son's on drugs. Huh, my son's perfect. Uh, okay, my daughter got pregnant. Huh, my daughter's perfect. She's an angel. Uh, my wife left me. Psh, my wife would never leave me. I have no money in the bank. I got a million dollars. You know, none of that stuff is going to help the person who's suffering. But maybe that's why you're broke. Maybe that's why all those problems are happening in your family, so that you're able to relate and, and minister to the guy that you're working with who's dying. But the big difference there is he doesn't have Christ. You do. He's suffering and that's where it gets completely hopeless. And not only is he suffering, he's doomed for hell. He's suffering here, and he's going to suffer there forever. Man. Of course, to be able to bring them to God just is the reason why Christ suffered to bring us. Man, that they might put their trust in him. So, so when you're going through something... Just remember that, you know what, God is going to use it. For, and, and it may not, you have no idea. But I'm sure that if you sat there and thought about, maybe this happened in your life, and you know what? Man, I had an opportunity to share that with somebody else. Remember Kurt Garland, who's up in there. Hey, Kurt, if you're watching, remember how he came to Christ. A lot of it had to do with the fact that his son was killed on Sepulveda, right there in front of King's Hawaiian. And him and his ex-wife end up in my office, and it turns out, high school, Garland, Scott, I mean, it was crazy. So he gets saved, and he'll tell you the story that it wasn't too long after that. What does he do? What happens? God brings someone whose son was killed as well. Now, who could better relate and minister to somebody than somebody who went through something like that? Not me. I could say, I'm so sorry, but I have no idea how you feel. Kurt, nah, I know exactly how you feel. Get it? That's the result of suffering, guys, to be able to bring them to God. And number four, the reward in suffering, of course, God's comfort and blessing here on earth, but God's blessings and presence in heaven. Lastly, turn with me to Revelation 21, the last time you got to turn the page. 
21. I love this passage. We're going to close here because really this is kind of like, this is, this, is, this is looking forward to it. This is like, ah, I can't wait to get there. Because this is when it's all done. This is when it's all wrapped up. Everything. Chapter 21 of Revelation. What a book. Anybody, when's the last time you read the book of Revelation? Amazing. I just read it last year coming into this year. Amen? Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Chapter 21, verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Bummer for the surface. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people God himself will be with them and be their God, of course. In verse 4, we share this often at funerals, of course. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah, what a Savior, guys. Woo! Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. Close the book. Drop the mic. Amen. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's stand. Let's pray, guys. The reward that is coming. For suffering, for enduring. Hang in there, brothers. It could be over tonight. Your life could be over tonight. One way or another, we're getting there, amen? Hook or crook, as they say. It's all there for us. But Father, we again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter and his desire to encourage the believers that were there. Going through, Lord, what we really have no idea. We, we aren't suffering in light of the suffering that these brothers and sisters went through. And Lord, the day we get to heaven and we're able to meet up with some of these people that were written of in Scripture, Lord, how incredible is that going to be? I pray for these men, Lord. I pray that in their trials, in their suffering, what they're enduring even tonight, they would be reminded of the reality. They don't need to be reminded that they're in the middle of it. But also, Lord, they would know there is a reason. There, there's going to be results from that and ultimately the reward that will come when we step from this life into eternal life, when we go home and we reclaim our citizenship in heaven, Lord. So bless them, I pray, in their groups. Encourage me, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, amen. amen.